I'll be paraphrasing the story, of course, because most of it's like written. I'm like out of breath. I ran up and down the stairs. <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Take a moment if you need to. It's totally okay. What's up, Poison Pals? Welcome back to another episode of That Shit is Poison with your hosts, Megan Gesner and Harini Bot. Third time's the charm. Here we are. <laughs> for, for context, Poison Pals, we redid this intro three times because we were experiencing mm-hmm. some severe internet troubles and some delay between on my end, <laughs> on Harini's end. But we are yeah. officially, this is the official audio now. So, but it's always mm-hmm. fun to know like what we just went through behind the scenes. I know what are the behind the scenes of making this particular episode. Right, and we were saying this was the fiftieth episode, and yes. this would be our jubilee birthday per the Queen of England. Jubilee. But now, before things are to delay, I was like, wait, that's not right, is it? But because I'm like, the Queen is way older than fifty, <laughs> and she had her jubilee birthday recently. Um, it could be fiftieth anniversary of her reign her rule mm, i think that's what yes it was. it's not her birth <laughs> <laughs> who is she trying to fool <laughs> like she she's not a day over 50 guys yeah oh my gosh. <laughs> i've just okay i know i said i wasn't gonna chit chat but the one thing i just want to say mm. you know all those videos of you know people thinking like beyonce and the queen are like lizard people yes like what? <laughs> That's all I have to say uh, on that. I feel like I talked about this in an older episode, but I have met oh, someone who is a like a true, genuine lizard people believer, and okay. it was extremely fascinating talking to them. They themselves, <laughs> and this is not I you know believe what you believe sort of thing i don't know how much of it is my responsibility to tell someone otherwise am i irresponsible for trying to not set them on the 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 straight and narrow straight and narrow (laughs) but uh i've met someone i've had conversations with them and super lovely person just because you believe in extreme conspiracies Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you're not a lovely person but it was really interesting to pick their brain it's i just feel like there's a different brain chemistry that happens there where yeah it, the skepticism is so it's another level that um it's really fascinating it's really fascinating so but that that's all i, I had to say there but yes those people exist yeah. and um mm-hmm. they really like for themselves and those they're trying to convince they have the evidence <laughs> that they feel proves that beyonce is a lizard person yeah all and that, those, so. there's all those videos to show for it whether they're real or not yeah and- on tiktok on tiktok tiktok is full of conspiracy but as you know and last time so dave and i went on a hike when we were in the bay area and Mm -hmm. i told him my my astronaut theory about what i just said (laughs) about them go traveling to the moon and i was like please hear me out yeah don't interrupt me as you're prone to do yeah just hear me out and then we'll discuss okay so he listened thoroughly intently even and at the end of it, he was like, so that's 
100% bullshit. <laughs> we just continued on our hike. Uh, and that was all we said. That's, that yeah, was that's... the end of the discussion. He was he was not even going to entertain defending himself no. saying that was bullshit. He was like, no. I was like, do you want to see the video? No, no. We're done. <laughs> Fair enough. That is so funny. Um, oh he's gosh, a lot more okay. straight to the point uh, compared to when you told me about it. Dave is on the straight and narrow. If anyone is on the straight and narrow, it is my husband. Okay. And I'm on the loopiest path there could ever be. It's okay. It, you're, you know, you're just taking the fun path. You're doing the little roller coaster loops and then it just goes straight for a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, All we right. can just jump right into Let's the story. Because that, that's actually kind of a great segue. Ooh. Because this story is not straight and narrow it is twisty turny i love so we can get into it turns. all right let's let's get into it what's it gonna be harini what's your poison hi poison pals we just wanted to give a quick heads up that the following episode will talk about familial abuse and incest so just a forewarning mm-hmm. that those things will be mentioned in this episode okay well I'm just going to outright say it because I feel like I've been withholding information from you guys for the last few episodes that I've done and been like, I'm not going to tell you what the poison is straight out, but the poison and correct me if I'm wrong. I think we may have like discussed it, but I don't know if we've done a whole episode on this particular poison. Uh, It's arsenic. Okay. I don't think we've actually dedicated an episode to arsenic. We've used it as a comparative poison, but, uh, Mm-hmm. never full on so awesome well yeah here we go when we think of poisons i think most people know of arsenic if they were to name something off the top of their head right and it's funny that we haven't done it yet so i'm not gonna dive fully deep into it because i i know we're probably gonna do more episodes mm-hmm. on arsenic mm-hmm. so i'll leave us some more room to discuss great this episode because i was honestly trying to figure out how the heck do i follow up burn pits you know like what is <laughs> what is appropriate content sure, sure. To, to come back with right and uh, i actually had a totally different story lined up i was already writing it and then i was like you know what i think it would be interesting and fun to just dive way deep into the true crime role just go back to our roots a little bit yeah um, yeah yeah let's get some you know. dorothea puente type folks up on the <laughs> yeah the pod exactly again. <laughs> I, I wanted to say some levity but that's not the right word at all <laughs> it's a different y'all type. Know what I mean. <laughs> yes it's uh i get what you're saying it's lev the levity is there compared to a burn pit situation which is just yeah. uh yeah I, I i don't even know there's something heavy about burn pits and I want to say, I think we should definitely do a follow-up episode to Burn Pits. We will do that at yes, some point. We will. because we will be. I listened to the Jon Stewart episode, and it is so good. Guys, if you haven't listened to it, please do listen to that. Mm-hmm. It was super informative and I have a lot of things to say, but we can yeah. do that all yeah. offline. Today, yeah. arsenic. And fun. <laughs> and murders, <laughs> I'm assuming. Or some sort of crime. Yeah. yeah. All, of the, all of the above. One of my favorite type of true crime stories or movies or whatever is when it's being told from the perspective of the jury Mm, yes and i so i want to engage that today with that type of genre yeah i'm going to be telling a story that is very twisty turny and it's told from the perspective of a neighbor this whole story is to be told by from the perspective of a neighbor oh i love it i love this rear window Yes, uh, yes type of stuff 
<laughs> little exactly. vo- voyeurism voyeur cool. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool it cool. is definitely voyeurism and i want you to step into that role pretend you're one of the 12 jurors who are here and you're I want you to judge freely. <laughs> like, please judge the scenario and really think in your head, if you are presented with all the facts that I'm going to be presenting to you today, who do you think Ooh. did this crime? And what verdict would you give oh at God. the end of the day? I freaking love this setup. Poison Pals listening, I am in the same boat with you. We are all jurors together, okay? <laughs> yes. So we're going to listen to Harini and we're going to pretend we're like 12 angry men. <laughs> 12 angry men i know this this is not what jurors wear but put on that white wig put on that black cape get into it we're suddenly in england (laughs) we're suddenly in england get your gavel at the ready okay order in the courts okay here we go (laughs) all right let's get started so first my sources pretty much the entire story is just one source because it was just that great i didn't need to do too much outside of it. it and it's from an article from texas monthly which is an amazing i think people who are true crime lovers they know texas monthly by heart mm. great great news outlet mm-hmm. and, and the title is called killer next door by gail gordon who is the neighbor mm. she is the neighbor gail is the neighbor okay why yes. why does gail just seem like a very fitting name for this type of role like it would be a gail it would be a gail gordon <laughs> You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I was like, it's so perfect. Yeah. It's so perfect that it's Gail Gordon. Yeah. Now I'm thinking it's probably an alias. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Gives it a little bit more spice. I don't know. Who knows if it's an alias, but I do like the name. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. And then the rest of the... The rest of the sources are from Stat Portals, NCBI, Mm -hmm. Medline Plus, and Wiki. Okay. So this story is told from the perspective of the downstairs neighbor in a duplex unit Mm. so that's the environment okay i'll be paraphrasing the story because it's coming from her perspective like she says i and things like this but i'll Mm. i'll make it so it's more story format okay so it starts after midnight someone knocked on the door of gail's unit her and her husband were sound asleep but they awake to this incessant knocking on their door gail's husband goes downstairs with gail falling close behind when they open the door they see richard leon their duplex landlord Mm standing on the stoop holding a baby monitor. Richard's face is haggard and pale, and he looks like he hasn't slept much in many days. Mm. He tells them that Nancy, his wife, has been vomiting for hours, so he wants to take her to the ER. Mm. And could they please look after his daughters while they're gone, mm. the two young little girls? Gail's family and Richard's family were close, especially being in a duplex. They helped each other out with everything you know what neighbors do and they didn't give it really a second thought when richard came to them that night asking for help once again Mm -hmm. six days later nancy is pronounced dead on january 14th 1991 Mm. so from here an investigation ensues and official word is that nancy dillard leon was poisoned Mm. the dallas county medical examiner rules her death a homicide and found lethal concentrations of arsenic in her system wow Nancy's death makes both local and national news as she was the daughter of a prominent family. And during the 11 months after her death and also during the trial, Gail tries hard to believe that Richard didn't poison his wife. And I think this is something maybe we can all relate to, uh, you know, 
us growing up in our childhood homes or whatever it might be, or even our, in our current neighborhood, if you own a home or you rent in a space that has a neighborhood, you want to feel like your neighbors are safe and good people and that they wouldn't do anything to harm another person, obviously. So Gail is in a very similar situation. She felt like she knew her neighbors and she trusted them. She can see Richard poisoning his wife. Even up to days before her death, Richard was extremely caring towards Nancy. Gail even remembers that on the night that Richard knocked on their door at midnight, she could hear Richard's voice crackle through the baby monitor as he prepared to take his wife to the hospital. Quote, I'm warming up the car. Do you think you can make it downstairs? I'll carry you. We may think we know our neighbors, but what do we really know of them? We may hear them in their backyard, barbecuing or playing piano in the house. We might catch glimpses of them in their home or getting the mail. But do we really actually know their lives? Mm. As someone who lives in a four-unit complex, it is very Mm -hmm. intimate. And I like to think, just like as Gail was with Richard's family, that I'm like pleasantly close to my neighbors in a way that I would probably never be close to a neighbor in a single unit suburb or something or a mass complex uh, apartment complex but it's true that I'm like at the end of the day I only know these people relatively superficially and it's just pleasant hellos passing by Mm -hmm. that is all to say I'm really immersing myself in Gail's shoes (laughs) yeah no completely and you're so right I'm glad you brought that up that you live in a four unit complex because I think that was Gail's mindset she was like we live in a duplex like we we're, yeah. we're inevitably close to each other. Right, if right. If we need something, we're going to just knock upstairs or knock downstairs. We're like, hey, do you have sugar? Hey, can you watch the kids? I got to go run an errand. They right. would do that for each other. So in that regard, yes, they were close and they knew each other's families that way. And arguably, I would say Gail probably has the best inside look into what really happened outside of just Nancy and Richard, of course. Nancy was 37 when she fell ill and eventually died. She was taken to the ICU where an entire team of doctors weren't able to save her. She was vomiting uncontrollably. Her heart rate was 144 and her blood pressure dropped to 50 over 18. Very, very, Holy very shit. Low. Yeah. Yeah. The original diagnosis was actually toxic shock syndrome mm. because for more than a week, Nancy complained of vaginal itching, but her symptoms weren't in line with toxic shock syndrome. And she was also taking um, medication for, I think, bacterial vaginosis. She was taking Zovirax mm-hmm. capsules, which are sort of just antibiotics, basically. Right, right. Family and friends gathered at the hospital where Nancy was. They filled up the waiting room and even spilled out into the hall. That's how many people came to see her. Most knew Nancy's parents, Bill and Sue Dillard. Bill and Sue, unfortunately, already buried one of their four four children, 30-year-old Tom, who died of a brain tumor several years earlier in 1985. So I think that's why everyone was just kind of coming there to support them. But no one was thinking that Nancy was actually going to die. Tensions began to escalate on January 10th, a few days before Nancy passed, because that's when things started to get pretty serious. And like, oh, shit, I think she might actually pass away. Mm -hmm. The Dillards were especially upset with Richard. It became almost like these two different sides, the Dillards on one side and then just Richard on his own on the other. Gail goes to the hospital that afternoon on January 10th. She wasn't surprised at the anger geared towards Richard. The Dillards felt that Richard had put Nancy through one hell of a year. All right, so kind of going back now, Nancy and Richard were a compatible and loving couple So everyone was surprised, including Nancy, when Richard became unhappy in the marriage. 
Gail and her husband first became their tenants. Richard is the landlord. So Richard and Nancy are the landlords of the duplex. And Gail and her husband are tenants in this duplex. So Gail and her husband first became their tenants in the duplex in 1985. This is when they first got to really know the couple. They were both friendly and warm, no friction in their lives. Gail didn't even hear them fight once. Nancy herself was an ambitious, cheery, small woman with short, dark hair and dark eyes. Richard was a shorter man with wavy brown hair, sharp features, and had this calm energy to his demeanor. Nancy and Richard met in 1979 at Harvard's Grad School of Design, where they started landscaping together. From there, they moved to Dallas to start their landscaping work. However, Nancy ended up taking a management job at a residential company, essentially real estate, where she rose quickly and made partner of the year. Partly from his father-in-law's recommendation, Richard was hired by developer Kenneth Hughes to oversee construction of his firm's largest projects. So that's all to say they were busy and doing well for themselves. They were able to get their own place, which is the duplex, and have quality time with their daughters. People who knew Nancy and Richard said they were the perfect team. Nancy had the ideas, and then Richard would execute. By all accounts, Nancy definitely came from a wealthy background, and Richard had a more modest upbringing. Richard's parents didn't love this aspect because they felt Nancy's family never really accepted Richard. At their wedding, for example, Nancy's older brother poked fun at Richard by describing him as a Yankee and a yardman. If there was any animosity about the Dillard's wealth or the family, Richard didn't show it. They spent a lot of time with the Dillard family, going on vacations every summer, regular barbecue, picnics at the family home, you name it. And after having their first daughter, Allison, their life continued to flow very well into a life that Nancy was probably more familiar with, you know, getting their daughter a full-time nanny, putting her on the wait list to the best schools, etc. But at the end of the day, Richard and Nancy themselves weren't all that materialistic. Their duplex was simple, and they used their spare time to make the backyard of their duplex a landscaper's dream. So they were really like homebody people that way. But of course, stresses began to build. In 1988, the real estate boom slumped. So Richard's work also slowed. In 1989, that was when they had their second daughter, Anna, who was born with a hip problem. Their small unit in the duplex started to feel cramped, and Gil could hear Anna crying day in and day out, and mm. Richard was often gone on business. Mm-hmm. So things started to like get a little more tense at this time. Mm. It was around this time as well that there were hints of Richard seeing another woman. This became more real when the day after Christmas, Richard was in the driveway with the duffel bag. He looked unhappy as he put his bag into the car and drove off. After that, they separated. This mm. separation left Nancy in quite a state. Richard told her when he left that he was going to a family counseling program in Arizona, but he actually just joined his girlfriend on a ski trip. Mm. He came back two weeks later only to move out. Despite this, Nancy was willing to listen to Richard's short-lived attempts to get back together. And then, of course, he would retract some days later. It was just like this on and off thing that they would do. But Nancy would defend him and say, I know the real Richard. This isn't like him. He's a family man. He's sick. I know he'll come around. By summer of 1990, and reminder for everyone, she dies January 1991, Mm. just for a timeline. So summer of 1990, Nancy becomes alarmingly thin. The separation Mm. really starts taking a toll on her. The once blooming garden in the backyard was dried up and overgrown. She wasn't really caring for herself or tending to herself or the children, really. 
Richard eventually filed for divorce in September. In some ways, this made things better for Nancy because it was some sort of finality for her where she could actually move on. Mm -hmm. Nancy requested sole custody, child support, and rights to as much as $260,000 in separate assets. Mm. And Richard was willing to give her most of that, actually, what she wanted. And after that, Nancy seemed hopeful for the first time in a long time. She even thought of moving to D.C. to start over and work there. Mm -hmm. But by mid-November, so not even a month and a half later, Richard starts showing up at the duplex again. Gail asked Nancy about it, and she told her that Richard wanted to reconcile. Hmm. This time, Nancy asked Richard to prove it. Prove yourself. Do you really want to be with me? Do you really want to be a part of this family? And just like that, the duplex suddenly became alive again. Mm. As a couple, they began replanning the backyard like old times with a playhouse for the kids that Richard was going to build for himself. He put a wood-burning fireplace in the home at Nancy's, Nancy's request and painted the downstairs, just being helpful around the house, trying to be present and good husband. Before bed, he made pillow forts with the kids and played guitar. The place resumed this warm and loving energy again. Mm. And it was so much so that Gail's 21-month-old son wanted to spend time there, which Gail often did let him spend time there. And wow. During yeah. this time in the... Yeah, so during this time in the article, Gail just kind of, you know, reminisces and is like, that was such a, a lovely time in all of our lives just like the energy of the entire duplex as a whole she felt safe again she felt like her kids could just wander upstairs and it was no problem right she trusted she trusted that they would take care of her kid because they just had like this solid energy to them again right right and and um nancy and richard also just had or had a young child as mm -hmm. well right they had two young right. kids yep. that's correct mm -hmm. so that's so right. i'm assuming like gail's 21 months uh, it's about two right like yeah is almost in the same age range as like the other kiddos okay yeah right yeah this was gail's view of richard and nancy on january 10th 1991 when she enters the hospital right she has this whole image of them they're this loving family they're strong they're connected they're grounded again Mm -hmm. So when she goes to the hospital, Gail has this compassion and also perspective of him that maybe the Dillards don't have. Gail understood why the Dillards were upset, but they also didn't see how much Richard turned himself around and how much he was working on himself for the family. When Gail goes to sit with Richard in the hospital, she hugs him and says, I'm so sorry. And he goes, about what? Gail didn't know how to respond to this, but eventually says, I'm sorry that Nancy's sick. Mm. Six hours later, Nancy's lungs fail. She was sedated and placed on a respirator. She didn't talk after that. When she mm. died on January 14th, she was almost unrecognizable because she was so bloated from nearly 40 pounds of IV fluids they put in her to oh. try to raise her blood pressure. My gosh. 40 pounds. Oh, wow. I couldn't <sighs> believe that. I didn't yeah. know we could hold that much. I know. Absurd. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's absurd, no, and it's also no, upsetting. I'm, I'm still what? dwelling on the idea oh. for No, but it, yeah, the fact that her, her blood, your blood pressure was so low that she needed 40 mm -hmm. pounds of IV in her, like, that's crazy. But that also speaks volumes to me that they just didn't know what the hell was going on, and that's what's yeah. more upsetting to me. It's like, they didn't have any other options except for just pumping her fluids. And I think this is a conversation we have quite often. I don't think this is the case as much anymore, but people don't really test for poisons that much these days. Mm -mm. So mm -mm. they are not looking for that. And unfortunately, as we know very well, 
arsenic in particular, which I'll talk about later, it presents like a million other things. So yeah, it is really difficult to, to track. Right. But so when Nancy died, the doctors still didn't know the cause of death. However, only hours after Nancy was admitted to the hospital. So after she was admitted, not after she died on January 9th, Nancy's father told the overseeing doctor that the family suspected Richard poisoned Nancy. Hmm. A few days later, Nancy's brother tells the Dallas County District Attorney the same thing. Mm-hmm. But why did they tell the doctors this? Like, why did yeah. they think that? Like, why was their mind going right. directly to poison? Right. What What are they, what have they witnessed that mm-hmm. would indicate? We do feel that Richard would poison. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the answer is this. Apparently, Nancy suspected Richard of poisoning her four months earlier. Mm. was that prior to them reconciling or after what's the timeline there they got back together in november and it was january so i think it was like maybe just around that time maybe just before perhaps uh okay or, or okay. we just either right before when they just got back together something somewhere around there because they got Very back together mid-november mm-hmm. that is interesting and also makes me feel anxious in a way (laughs) this is not to put nancy or question her actions in any way put her in a bad light or question her actions but it is like what causes someone to possibly tell their family hey i think my ex-spouse at the time might Mm -hmm. be trying to poison me and then a month later for example november Mm -hmm. reconcile with their spouse you know like that is weird yeah to have to have yeah to have that probably like in some sort of intuition or gut feeling of like something's not right i feel like they might have poisoned me but i i know that anything can happen and relationships are highly complicated but that is it that makes me anxious yeah it does it does and poison pals like i said you are one of the jurors if you got to write these clues down write them down because i'm gonna throw a lot at you and this is not straightforward. This mm. case is absolutely not straightforward. It is not black and white. Even after reading through the case a few times to relay this episode to you today, I'm still unclear of where I lean. I'm going to ask you basically maybe halfway through or three-fourths of the way through what you guys mm-hmm. think, and then we can discuss it afterwards. Okay. But I'm glad you asked about the timeline. So it's four months earlier. It is before they got back together. Okay. And she voiced these fears to her divorce lawyer, Mary Heinrich, and her sister-in-law, Mary Helen Dillard. And I want to clarify, because when I first read this, I was like, why would she tell Richard's sister? But it's not. Mm. It's like one of her brother's wives or something. Got it. Got it. So in early September, before the divorce papers were served, Nancy found a bottle of wine. This is according to her. She found a bottle of wine on her porch with an anonymous note to her, and the cork looked tampered with. Soon Mm. after this incident, Nancy and Richard went to the movies. Richard bought her a soda and Nancy took one sip and immediately spit it out because it tasted that bad. She then saw a white powder floating on top. Mm. According to Heinrich, Nancy's lawyer, Nancy said that Richard threw a fit because she didn't drink the soda. Later Mm. that night, Nancy gets sick. This is not when she gets like very sick where it leads to her death. She just falls. She just doesn't feel well. Right. Yeah. Again, despite these suspicions Nancy has, she still reconciles things with him, as you pointed out, Megan. Mm. Heinrich pleads with Nancy to get the wine tested, but Nancy doesn't do it, saying it would embarrass her to accuse her husband. Mm. 
then in late October, Nancy's friends noticed that she has a collection of health pills. I'm like doing air quotes that mm. Richard gave her. Later in December, Richard and Nancy go on a ski trip in Colorado. Nancy told her sister-in-law, Mary Helen, that she was in the bathroom all night vomiting during the ski trip. Mm. Richard, she said, didn't get up once out of bed to go check on her. Mm. From the time Nancy's father tells Dr. Bagheri about this being a possible poisoning, it would take Dr. Bagheri about 10 hours before he actually did anything. In court, Dr. Bagheri would testify that his patient load was so busy that day and that he was waiting for Richard to leave Nancy's side so he could talk to Nancy privately. Mm. Once she was alone, Nancy told Dr. B, I'm just calling him Dr. B. Nancy told Mm -hmm. Dr. B about the soda, the wine, and the health pills. Mm. Dr. B recalls Nancy writhing in pain and desperately asking Dr. B to find out what was wrong with her. Quote, please help me, help me, don't let me die. Mm. The next morning, Dr. B asked the Dillards to search the duplex. The Dillards find an eight compartment container filled with various pills and an open bottle of wine. The two items were in the trunk of Allison and Anna's nanny, like nanny's car, who said she saw Nancy place them there amid garage sale items a few months earlier. Meanwhile, here's what's going on with Richard. So Richard knows nothing of the dealer's suspicions of him. He's just like, you know, a distraught husband, like wants to make sure his wife gets better. He's not thinking of anything else, according to him. So right after Nancy was admitted to the ICU, he himself asked doctors if it could be food poisoning or something she ate. He recounts that Nancy drank bad taste and coffee in the morning before she got sick, and he even brought in a bag of food items from the duplex. So he's like actively trying to help the doctors. The Dillard family viewed every possible move of Richard's as suspicious, though. However, others saw nothing misplaced about Richard's behavior. He prayed with the minister. People around saw that he barely slept. And when Nancy died, he seemed as distraught as any husband would be. Gary Perkins, who was a business associate and slash close friend of Richard's, came to the hospital as Nancy's life support was being turned off. Perkins first came upon the Dillards when he came out of the elevator and he asked where Richard was. He was met with this like cold chill. Everyone just like turns around. And says, Why are you asking about Richard? Until someone finally points him in the right direction. So Gary joins Richard's parents in a waiting room as they wait for Richard to come out of Nancy's room. When Richard does come out, he's crying uncontrollably and he's surprised to see his friend. So he goes over and hugs him. Gary recalls how much this upset him because he'd never seen Richard like that before. Gary ends up driving Richard back to his home that night and he recalls how Richard kept rubbing a pair of Nancy's shoes in his lap and saying, how am I going to tell my girls? How am I going to tell them? So back to Gail. Gail reflects on her relationship with Nancy. Although they talked pretty much every day, she wasn't close to Nancy. Nancy had a way of keeping that neighborly distance between them. But Nancy was a great neighbor. She would bring over soup. She always returned a dish that she borrowed and filled it with something that she or Richard had cooked. Every Christmas, she brought over gifts, etc. Gail's husband, who was not one to over-exaggerate anything, called Nancy, quote, the nicest person in the world. Yet, Nancy could be a trying person now and then. She would leave dirty dishes or half-full coffee mugs near the door on their stoop, and she had an overly optimistic view of everything, which made it difficult to seek common ground with her that was rooted in reality. For a bit after Richard left her, she softened up and took off those rose-colored lenses, but they came right back on once Richard showed up again. Following Nancy's death, the police told the dealers to keep up appearances with Richard, and they played their roles very well. 
They let Richard sit in the front pew next to Nancy's mother. And during the service of Nancy's funeral, Nancy's mother and Richard held each other crying during the service. In the weeks after the funeral, Nancy's father visited Richard and the girls nearly every other morning with breakfast in hand, and he would sometimes stay after to help around the house or with the kids. Gail and her husband helped too. They would watch the kids when Richard went to his grief recovery program. They cooked him dinners and in general just gave him a listening ear. In general, Richard wasn't the most expressive guy, so he took up his backyard work again that he and Nancy had been working on. He built a greenhouse. He bought rabbits for his daughters. He even put an angel statue in the center of a fountain as a sort of memorial to his wife. One of Richard's employees said that Richard could never do this kind of thing, i.e. kill his wife. Richard would get mad for sure, but it was never, ever carried out in the form of retribution. Richard's parents described him as quiet but amiable. He did well in school and was sort of a perfectionist. By 28, he was managing multi-million dollar construction projects. He was loved by his employees who thought of him as generous and honest. He once gave a secretary $500 to help her pay for her down payment on a house. And once when a work check came late, Richard paid Gary Perkins $5,000 for his personal account. Even Richard's father-in-law, so Nancy's father, spoke highly of him when he originally recommended Richard to a work position. But here's the thing. Things changed when Richard left Nancy. Her friends saw him become cold and angry, according to them. Richard was always so compliant in general. Nancy's friends think that he sort of just hit a point where he didn't want to be that good boy anymore. And that's when Tammy Gaysford comes in. Tammy. Tammy. What a name. What a name that's not used anymore, really. I love Tammy. Yeah. All right. Well, Tammy from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> yes. I, I do genuinely like the name Tammy because uh, I only have one Tammy in my life and she's such a peach. You do? But um, there we Aww. go. Yeah. Gail first saw Tammy at the duplex only a few days after Nancy's funeral. Her car was parked in the driveway with the same 94.5 bumper sticker that used to be on Richard's Mustang. When Gail was walking through her door, she managed to glance briefly into Richard's window and saw a blonde sitting at the dinner table with Richard and his girls. Tammy would show up every two to three days, once lounging around while Richard worked in the backyard. Gail didn't recognize Tammy at first as the quote-unquote other woman in Richard's Mm -hmm. life, Mm -hmm. as Nancy had said. She was not, as Nancy mentioned, the sultry, cropped skirt woman who frequented bars. She was fit and attractive, but not cheap. Tammy was an intelligent woman who met Richard the summer of 1989 when they both worked on the renovation at Saks Fifth Avenue in Houston. And also, apparently the affair was not casual as Nancy probably thought it was. For Christmas in 1989, Richard bought her a $4,900 ring, which is very freaking expensive if you think about it in the 80s. a lot. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money even today. Yeah, I'm like, what? the heck yeah that's a lot of money like easily double that in today's standards okay their feelings for each other were strong and mutual lasting even through his reconciliation with nancy i'm like damn that is strong yeah Yeah. which makes me think like why reconcile i mean i don't know like i said i don't know relationships can be incredibly complicated just because you have an intense bond with someone where you want to buy them a four thousand dollar friggin plus ring does not mean that you still don't have an interest in you know saving your family unit and saving that partnership 
But yeah, don't underestimate your kids when when there are kids involved. You just right. never know. Yeah. Which I think was the motive for for him. Like he mm. he cared so much about his kids. So okay, so so yeah. you were saying that that Tammy mm-hmm. and Richard still had a connection, even though right. even when Richard was reconciling with Nancy. Okay, got it. Exactly, exactly. Richard's business associate said that Richard was in love with Tammy, but he was confused on what to do because he loved his kids. There you go. Mm, okay. Okay. I mean, you can imagine it's like from Gail's perspective, it's pretty awkward to see Tammy at the duplex so soon after Nancy died. Like she wants to believe him and trust him, but right. she's like, uh, it's not working in your favor. Right. This, this is a little bit yeah. weird. Yeah. You could have like waited a week. <laughs> yeah. You know? It just at naturally least. doesn't look good whether he, right. Whether he done do it or not, you know, like whether, <laughs> yeah. I, so like he could be 100% innocent. I still think that's, it's a bad look yeah it's a bad yeah. look one time in early february so not even a full month after she passes after nancy passes gail hears laughter in the backyard and she sees richard and tammy having a dinner party with another couple mm. from gail's perspective though she's like who's a judge how someone works through their grief richard didn't have that many close friends so maybe this was just someone he could turn to and he felt comfortable with so she mm-hmm. tried not to judge too much yeah that's very fair of Gail. I like Gail. That is very, that is so fair of Gail. Wait, isn't Gail also Bob's Burger? Yes. <laughs> that's these are all Linda's sister. Yeah. All these aliases, <laughs> if they are, they're, I don't know if they are. I'm like, they're just yeah, pulling yeah. them from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so funny. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So the day after Nancy's death on January 15th, an autopsy was done, which showed lethal doses of arsenic in her liver and kidneys. Her blood had 100 times more arsenic than normal. So that same day, a detective, Ortega, met with Nancy's father. Ortega Mm. tells him that they would normally question the main suspect, who would be Richard, within a day or two. But this case is a trickier one. This time, he would wait. The Dillards told Ortega that in 1990, Nancy saw a canceled check from Richard to a general lab supply, a chemical distributor in Pasadena, California. Nancy told her family that she was worried Richard was using drugs. Ortega was able to subpoena the bank records and ask General Labs to search their files. The receipts show that Richard did indeed buy toxic chemicals in powdered form, including barium carbonate, sodium nitrofurocyanide, but no arsenic. Mm. And just to clarify, because I was like, "Mm, what are these? Mm -hmm. Barium carbonate is not really like a toxin or poison. I'm sure like you don't want to eat it. But right. um, what it's used for industrially is like in glazes for ceramics. Mm, okay. And then sodium nitrofurocyanide is actually, it has nothing to do with cyanide. It's a blood pressure. It's usually used for like a blood pressure medication. Hmm. But I don't know why Very he would buy them. But, so, yeah. 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 There, there was nothing that touched weird. on like he had these particular issues or ailments that we could prove medically or whatever that you would need those things for and therefore he bought it. Like there's nothing that... That talks about that. Not to him, but it okay. does come up again later Ooh, as to what okay. it was used for. Oh, okay. Exciting. Okay. <laughs> in late February, again, she was killed in January. Just want to keep mm. you guys aware of the timeline. So Richard told the dealers he was going fishing in Mexico with a pal. He left his daughters with Nancy's older brother. Mm. While Richard was gone, Detective Ortega checked his airline records and found that Richard flew to Puerto Vallarta with Tammy. Hmm. When Richard came back, Ortega picked him up for questioning two days later. Okay. 
Richard was a gem during the questioning. He was cooperative. He was kind. Even during this five-hour questioning. He answered all of Ortega's questions calmly and without obvious emotion, even when Ortega felt emotion was warranted. Hmm. Hmm. Here's what Ortega was bringing to the table. In the 44 days since Nancy's death, Richard didn't call once to the medical examiner's office to ask about the autopsy results. Mm -hmm. When Ortega told Richard that Nancy had been poisoned, Richard barely reacted. Hmm. Quote, he remained calm. The moment that was most incriminating in the eyes of Detective Ortega was when he asked Richard if he had any poisons in the home. Richard said he had Amdro, an ant killer, and Vapim, an herbicide in the garage. But when Ortega asked Richard if he ever bought any chemicals, you know, say in Houston, obviously mm-hmm. alluding to that general labs, Richard thinks for a moment and says no. Ortega caught him in a lie. Mm. He knew that wasn't true, given his receipts from general labs. Ortega says, quote, I knew that he killed her. He lied to me and I let him lie to me. Hmm. But I don't know. I don't think that in itself is like such strong evidence of like, right. You can correlate that to be like, yes, he killed her in my eyes. When I I was like, that's not super strong. I agree. Like we've seen time and time again, um, examples of when someone is being questioned for a crime of the murder of their loved one. And sometimes they react very calmly and people mm-hmm. will and media will automatically be like they didn't react sadly or anything right therefore they must be involved or are suspicious but it's like people are uh, you know have the right to react however they want to react exactly. to the death of a loved one so it's not enough for me to be like oh he was just overly calm and that's suspicious like i don't mm-hmm. i don't roll that way i do think i agree i am i am extremely curious of course as to why he would have lied about buying those chemicals but i know you're going to tell us because had hinted that that comes out later so i do feel like yeah. that is suspicious because i'm like in the context of being questioned for the murder of your wife mm-hmm. i think it wouldn't be important enough to lie about something that's unrelated, you know, uh, p- potentially yeah. unrelated about the death of right. So we shall see. We shall see. Megan, you bring up an amazing point, which is, and I- I'm sure Poison Pals, you know this if you love true crime, but it is no longer admissible or correct, rather, to judge a person's reaction after someone's death, especially a loved right. one. Because now we know through science and just psychology etc that everyone grieves differently everyone reacts differently immediately afterwards and even weeks after the the death right so you can't use that as evidence against them in court or whatever right it's just not it's just not going to hold up right right on the other side of the coin (laughs) the only time i agree that something is sus if someone's lying is when they are willing to give so much information that you didn't even Mm -hmm. ask for and i feel like that is consistent that's when someone is like trying to cover their tracks when they like are giving up too much information yeah they're they're too ready with all this detailed information right you didn't ask for agreed okay yeah so going moving forward richard does go on to say though and here's another thing i'm trying to think and as a juror you would think this too how would i react in that scenario for example if someone asked me like oh did you buy a toenail clipper that was of this whatever whatever right i'd be like um no 
But then I'll think about it and be like, wait, maybe I did buy that on Amazon like a year ago, but it's just like so far in the back of my memory. Like I wouldn't remember that. Right. So I don't know. Like in my personal opinion, I think it's okay for me to not remember something in that moment, especially when you're under high stress and pressures, like in an interrogation room, for example. In this case, Richard does come back and admits like, I did purchase something. And he, he, this is what he says. Richard goes on to say that he bought mercury and lead to repair a battery and cyanide and arsenic acid to kill fire ants. He says he doesn't remember what he did with the poisons afterwards. He maybe put them in a trash bag and threw them away. He doesn't remember. Officers go to search the duplex and his car. Nothing turns up. No bad food. None of the chemicals they knew he purchased. Not even the Zovarax capsules prescribed to Nancy by her gynecologist just two days before she fell sick. But Richard did buy arsenic in liquid and powder form on November 19th, 1990 from General Labs. The package was delivered to Richard's office two weeks later. Richard, because of the holidays, was only able to pick it up on January 3rd, so only six days before Nancy was admitted to the hospital. The issue was no one to the state has been able to prove that Richard ever picked up the arsenic from his office. The receptionist couldn't even recall that Richard had a package to receive. Mm. Mm. Nevertheless, Ortega arrests Richard for first-degree murder. Toxicologists analyzed the health pills he gave to Nancy. Most were actual vitamins, but two out of the 16 capsules were pure barium carbonate, which is one of the chemicals that he purchased from General Labs. Tammy stopped visiting after that. (laughs) Good on her, girl. Yeah, I would be wary, at least. And, And if people thought maybe she was in on it, Maybe she is, but I personally don't think so. Like, right. I feel like that kind of hits the nail on the coffin that she stopped seeing him after that. Right. <laughs> like, just out. total separation of, like, I am right. no longer involved with you as a person. Exactly. So after the whole Tim situation, after this comes out, and after, of course, he gets charged for first-degree murder, Richard's mother moves in with him because things starts start to go downhill. He loses custody of his kids to Nancy's brother, and in general, wasn't taking care of himself much with the trial taking over his life. One day after a trial, like one of the trial days, Gail could hear Richard lamenting to his mom. He felt so hurt hearing the Dillard's testimony against him. He felt hurt to hear family or what you thought of as family saying the worst things about you. Richard looked sad and sincere in what he said. And in that moment, Gail felt genuine sympathy for him. Is Gail just like listening through the walls or something? Does she have a cup up against the wall? Has a cup. Drilling a hole exactly. <laughs> through the wall. Uh, Gail is doing God's work over here. <laughs> Nancy's brother said, quote, I was sure that once Richard knew the jig was up, he would do something crazy, like kill the girls and then kill himself. I had a lot of fear, a lot of fear. Gail at that point didn't know what to believe, or so she thought. She was eventually subpoenaed as a witness by Richard's lawyer, But after two days of waiting outside the courtroom, she was never called. The second day in court, the judge ruled that there was insufficient evidence to prove that Richard was an unfit father, so he regains custody, and the Dillards were given visitation rights. Richard and his mom were, of course, ecstatic leaving the court that day, so Gail decided this was a good moment to visit them and kind of check in in with them as a whole. Richard looks super relaxed. He's, like, ushering her into the home. He then tells Gail what he said in the courtroom that really hurt the dealer's case. 
He testified about the incestuous relationship Nancy had with her brother, Bill, when the two were teenagers. What? What? Okay. (laughs) Go on. Yeah. Go on. What's happening? Apparently... Bill spoke to Gail directly about the incident. So I don't know how Gail's just involved. Well, I know. She did do this whole story. So I <laughs> yeah. guess maybe she's like reached out to people. Right. But like right. everyone's just like coming up to Gail. Like, Gail, I must tell you. I must like clear my name. Right. But Gail's got it going on. <laughs> <laughs> so Bill speaks to Gail directly about this incident. He claims that it wasn't intercourse, just confused physical closeness for emotional intimacy. Hmm. Bill said he and Nancy talked forgivingly about it a few months before she died, even. Okay, wait. So this intimacy between herself and her brother was recent? Or like... No, no, no. It happened when they were teenagers. Teenagers. Okay. I don't know if they didn't talk about it at the time. But for some reason, they like talked about it like a few months before she died. So, so, uh, okay. I can kind of see that dynamic of okay i'm reconciling with my husband i have some traumas that we should just all get out on the table yeah perhaps i'm being presumptuous by saying it's a trauma but i'm going to assume that it was for her but yeah like okay you're on the right track i can kind of see that okay 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 you're 100 on the right track yeah okay continue so the whole conversation with bill talking to gail that's like happening after the fact right right so we're in we're in present day i'm putting air quotes present day gail's in the living room with richard after this court day they gained the custody rights everyone's happy right. and celebrating right and then richard just drops this bomb on gail right right about this information i have one more side note yes gail must i guess like like it is interesting like gail being comfortable to like be in the same space as richard and mm-hmm. not feeling mm-hmm. Unless it says that, like, she's like, yeah, I felt anxious, but not enough to not want to be in the same room as him. But to me, that shows there's some level of trust there where she feels comfortable enough to be around him. Like, this is my neighbor. This is who Mm -hmm. I know, like this Mm -hmm. good person. So that's that's an interesting thing that she's like chatting very comfortably after he just went through a trial about murdering his wife. So, (laughs) no, I I think that's a great pickup, Megan, because that's how she feels like she this is not a spoiler alert Mm -hmm. at all, but. Throughout the course of her writing this whole article, mm-hmm. Gail b- fully trusts and believes in Richard. Mm. She doesn't. And like I said, that's why I wanted to say she probably has one of the best insider perspectives on their relationship and who they are as people outside of themselves. Right. And she does feel like she cannot, based on his character and what she knows of him, she does not find him capable this okay. way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're right. She does feel like she can trust him to an extent and that's why she feels comfortable going over alone got it so back to that living room so it's after that court day gail's in the living room at richard's place that day in the living room richard draws an ugly picture of bill he said that bill would make advances on nancy frequently and nancy's parents only discovered the incest when she complained of vaginal bleeding Mm. gail was speechless when she sat there listening to all of this and richard only said now you know hmm after that, the energy was high in the duplex for weeks. Mm-hmm. Richard brought out his guitar again. The kids are playing like usual. Mm. But six weeks later, Gail's family moved into a house they bought before Nancy died. So they're not they're not in the same vicinity anymore. Got it. In the weeks before moving out, Gail's family were very close to Richard and his family, like having dinners together. After work, they're all like playing together on the stoop. The kids are all playing and they're just chatting. They got very, very close. Mm. 
Before we left, Richard gave us two bonsai trees. He says, please keep these trees, he wrote in a note, as they will survive for decades with the same care that you give to each other. Then in May... I know, that's sweet, right? very sweet. Then in May, Richard was arrested with a bail set at $2 million that was eventually lowered to 50 k And I didn't put this in there, but Gail was consoling Richard's mom because obviously this is very traumatic for them as a family. So they were kind of there for each other during that time. At the trial, it came out that in the house behind the medicine cabinet were two antibiotic capsules laced with sodium nitrofurosyanide, another poisonous chemical that Richard had bought from General Labs in August 1990. And I, I just kind of want to correct that. From my research, it is still just kind of like a blood pressure medicine. And like, yes, absolutely, it can be dangerous if you take it in the wrong context. But it's not like a very deadly toxin, I should say. Right. The motive was not just romantic in regards to Tammy, but is also money motivated. Nancy was worth $1.2 million, including her $5,000 from her life insurance. Wow. What did she do again? She was in real estate, but she also came from a very, very wealthy family. Got it. Okay. Okay. She was also very successful on her own. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what they're kind of anticipating or guessing at. It's money motivated. But four months before Nancy died, Nancy removed Richard as the sole beneficiary and put in her children's names instead. Hmm. Nancy's nanny, Lynn Woods, was a witness to the change. And according to the nanny, Richard was unaware of the change even after Nancy's death. Hmm. Okay. But the defense tried to say that Richard did know the change by way of a typewritten note addressed to Richard dated November 1st, 1990. So, you know, about a, like two months before her death, mm-hmm. signed by Nancy. Hmm. But Lynn, the nanny, confidently testified that Nancy didn't know how to type. Hmm. Therefore, that letter couldn't have come from her. Interesting. So this is a letter from Nancy to Richard four months before she died. I'm just going to quickly read it. And And this was set out in court. My nature has always been to be so optimistic, so positive, so charged up about my life. And over this last year, in losing what I valued most in my life, I've let myself be so consumed by fear, unhappiness, heartache, and misery that I have compromised my values and principles and lost sight of myself, my needs, and my dreams. I can see clearly that the children and I need and deserve so much more. They need a loving, consistent parent who's there for them day and night. They need stability and predictability and a promise that no matter what, they will be defended, protected, and safe every moment, every day. I no longer have any desire to hold you to your marriage commitment. Not only are you free to go, but I need to demand that you go before even more damage is done to the children and to me. And this was the letter that, this is not the same letter as the one where the nanny was like, oh no, she didn't know how to type. Or is that the same? No, so this... No, that was a letter from Nancy to Richard, supposedly, talking about how she's going to change her will. Okay, got it. But this yeah. is this is something from prior to all that. Okay. Right. This is just like a personal letter to Richard that she handwrote. When asked about the arsenic in court, Richard repeated his statement that he bought the arsenic to kill fire ants that infested the duplex. In the court, everyone sneers at this apparently feeble attempt to hide the real reason. Hmm. But Gail knew the duplex really did have an ant issue. Hmm. In late summer 1990, it got so bad that Gail asked Nancy what she could do about it. And Nancy said that, quote, Richard is working on something. Nancy worked with him on the plan. And in fact, it was Nancy's idea who suggested to buy arsenic in the first place. Hmm. Interesting. So here's where it gets interesting. 
Richard's testimony puts him 250 miles from Nancy during the hours on January 8th when she was poisoned with a fatal dose of arsenic. Airline tickets, restaurant receipts, and eyewitnesses all confirmed that he had been in Houston since early that day and had arrived home around 6 about the time Nancy began feeling sick. Richard spoke of his wife as a vulnerable and sickly woman throughout the trial, and all through the fall of 1990, Nancy called him often, complaining of illness. Her calls always drew him back to the duplex, he said, to check on the children or to help her. So he kind of, I don't think he suggests on purpose, but from his testimony, it seems like she would often call him saying like, I feel sick whenever he's away at work. And he would get worried about her and then he would leave whatever he was doing and come home. In the last year of Nancy's life, she went to therapy and in therapy, she wrote as part of her meditation or therapy process. As proof, Richard handed over pages of notes. Two pages offered by the defense particularly played into suggestions of suicide or other suspects. One described how Bill, Nancy's brother, had incestuously violated Nancy for years, how her family had denied it and how Richard had tried to help her, quote, tried to save me, the note said with his sincere heart and his unending patience with my hangups about sex. On the bottom of another page was written, quote, fears of Bill and what his desires are, sex, issues with me, my girls, end quote. The defense had hired a handwriting expert who had said the writing was Nancy's. Later, they would put on the stand James Grigson, the psychiatrist known as Dr. Death, for those mm-hmm. of you who listen to that podcast, for his controversial death penalty testimony. Solely on the basis of the notes, Gregson described Nancy as deeply troubled, calculating, controlling, and manipulative. Hmm. He suggested that she had made herself sick with poisons to lure Richard back to the marriage. Hmm. Theory didn't seem plausible to Gail, though. Here's her, here's her like thought process. Mm-hmm. She was like, arsenic is a slow and painful death, and Nancy wasn't acting suicidal in the weeks leading up to her death. Mm. She was Christmas shopping and planning trips for the new year. Plus, her daughters were everything to her. Also, why would she cry out for help in the hospital if she had done this to herself? Mm. So I was going to ask you what you think, but I'm like, I personally was like, I'm of the mind that at this point when I was reading the case, I'm like, okay, she could totally just be poisoning herself because she wanted him back in the marriage. Right. And it for her to cry out in the hospital, like when she's actually about to die, it's one of those things where something has gone too far. Right. 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 And you're like, oh shoot, I did not want it to come to this point. Like I didn't, I only just wanted him to come back. I have him now. Like this is too much. Mm. That's just kind of my thought process. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what other type of mental health disorders could possibly be like a potential alternative or a theory. Cause um, I understand what Gail's getting at that. Like she didn't yeah. really see uh, Nancy as someone with suicidal ideation, especially cause she was holiday shopping and she was bubbly or whatever up to the days before her death. But Okay, theory-wise, let's say let's say she was happy the days leading to her death, but in her notes to Richard, she's very sad or morose or what the doctor witness said. I mean, based on those two perspectives from Gail and the doctor, that 
paints a picture of someone who is having a very manic depressive episode. I think if there was if there was a question of mental health, it would definitely come up further in the trial. And I'm I'm tying it back to like what does the you know, how does the abuse impact this person? It lines up for me when it's like she she you know, she talks about her abuse by her brother and then has, you know, suicidal ideation or that's what the the doctor sees. So that lines up for me, but then Gail is like, "Well, I don't really feel that way." I don't really know. Megan, maybe what to think. Maybe hold that thought. Okay. Maybe hold that thought. Hold. Putting it on hold. Hold it. Hold it. I'm going to ask you in a second. And I'm shaking it in my hand. And when I roll the dice out, I'm waiting for you to say Yahtzee. <laughs> Yahtzee. Okay. okay. <laughs> so we, uh, okay, here we go. Yeah. Go here ahead. we go. So Gail's like, why would she do this to herself? Then in court, they show the receipt. On September 6th, 1990, four chemicals were purchased from Chemical Engineering Dallas, barium carbonate, lead nitrate, cyanogen bromide, and arsenic trioxide. It was signed by Nancy Mm. with her driver's license under her name. Mm -hmm. The mood change in the courtroom is tangible at this Mm. point. Mm -hmm. Richard found this receipt stuffed in with her therapy writings. What to believe now. What to believe. So they call in the president of chemical engineering, Charles Couch. He testifies that in September 1990, a woman called him to discuss the fire ant poison. Hmm. The woman never identified herself, but she told him that her and her husband were trying to inject poison into dirt mounds with a long drill. Mm -hmm. When Couch offered to look up a formula for her, the woman asked if he could drop the notation by her house, which she said was right next to campus, which is exactly where our duplex was, which is what Gail's saying. Interesting. However, Couch said that he never dropped out the formula because the lady came to the plant the next day to get it herself. Mm. Unfortunately, Couch never saw her because he was on a call in his office. However, the receipt shown in court was typed, and Couch said he never typed up his receipts. He always hand wrote them. But here's a weird detail. Even on the typed notation or whatever it was, it had the names of couch himself and another one of his business associates like scroll at the bottom like you know like oh if you need to get back in contact with us like here's here's if you call here's you can um, ask for at the plant and couch was like no we never type up our invoices or our notations but i do remember writing both of those names at the bottom of the receipt which is weird right like it's almost like it's almost like someone saw the real thing like the handwritten thing and then just typed it up you know what I mean? right right but then how did they get the 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 real the, one how'd they get well how'd they get the names written at the bottom oh. in handwriting right they just and forge how did it? they know which one like, yeah i don't yeah i have no idea yeah I have no idea so even if richard did forge the receipt it's hard to explain away the call that couch got as well as the names at the bottom of the receipt what was also as puzzling were the results of the forensic analysis Bundles of Nancy's hair were analyzed using a technique called neutron activation analysis to detect various chemicals in her hair. Before analyzing the hair, it was sliced into tiny segments, each representing roughly two weeks of growth. The results showed that in addition to the lethal dose in early January, Nancy probably had ingested arsenic at least two other times before that. 
a sizable doe sometime between mid-December and New Year's Eve, and a much smaller one in mid-November. Both were before Richard could have received the arsenic from General Labs. Maybe Richard got the arsenic somewhere else. Maybe Nancy's hair grows faster than normal. Maybe shellfish or hair coloring caused the small dose in November, which we'll get back to later. But Nancy's autopsy showed that Nancy's fingernails had at least five times more arsenic than her toenails. This is a key detail to suggest that she may have handled the arsenic either by touching something poisoned or by using it herself. At this point, it seemed the defense had achieved reasonable doubt. Megan, what do you think now? And Poison Pals, what do you think now? <laughs> I don't really know what to think. Okay, uh, admittedly, I'm leaning towards the Nancy died at her own hands possibility. Because mm-hmm. that's, okay. that's kind of like the two sides of the coin. It's either Richard did it or Nancy right. offed right. herself. The other side that I'm like, wouldn't this be nice if this was like a full choice is that they're both involved and that Richard somehow did like an assisted suicide situation with Nancy, but because that would be illegal in the state or wherever they are in. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like that's unlikely because I'm like, if you were going to take that risk, well, one, Mm. you could go to Vermont where you could do that. Or, or you know, one of the I states that does. That, yeah, I think I think Vermont is the one, um, and uh, and what Washington or something. Fact, I'm sure Washington because they all yeah. the serial killers go there. <laughs> so fact check me on that. Like you could either just leave the state and be like, okay, this is what I want. I'm gonna do it, and and that would make sense because I'm like Richard romantically and emotionally maybe wouldn't have much to lose because he already had Tammy, but then that's not really fair to the kids. So it just, it seems unlikely and it seems even more unlikely that that would be the case if they did it within the state of Texas. He didn't have a backup plan to prevent himself from getting in the situation when he was like doing it mutually (laughs) with Nancy. (sighs) So... Yeah, I'm saying I'm leaning towards Nancy died at her own hands right now. That's okay. where I'm at. All right. Let, but I'm, All right. I want to hear more. <laughs> I will say we're getting towards the end, mm. but there is more. Okay. So, yeah. So this is the this is the energy in the courtroom. Everyone's thinking, okay, there's reasonable doubt here. Things are not looking great in terms of Nancy. She may have done this to herself, which I totally agree with Megan. She may have done it. But Gail loses faith less than two hours later. In rebuttal, the state produced Hartford R. Kittle, a retired document examiner from the FBI, as a witness. Just to remind everyone, the state's defense is for Nancy. Unlike the defense's handwriting analyst, Kittle compared all writings and evidence, not just with Nancy's known samples, but also with Richard's. Apparently, pair of them actually worked to make their writing look similar for design projects. Interesting. But Kittle noticed the differences. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting you said that because right as you were bringing this up, how they're comparing not only hers, but also Richard's handwriting, I was in my brain, my brain literally went, well, I mean, like, what success are you going to have there? Because I feel that often when you are around someone so much, you can adopt their writing style. Like, And this is more my own personal observation with my parents. Like, I feel that my writing is a derivative of both my parents' like quick writing 
style. When I see handwritten notes from them, I'm like, there are elements of my handwriting that have definitely come from them. So it's just a thought. That's kind of interesting. I'm trying to think now. I definitely have my mom's handwriting. (laughs) Okay. So... Yeah, so they purposely tried to make their handwriting similar back, even way back in grad school. This has nothing to do with what's happening now, just something they did. But Kittle, like I said, knows the differences. Richard's eyes were a straight line down. Nancy's were framed by little cross lines. Richard's F sometimes had a little backward loop. Nancy's never did. Nancy's S's were always serpentine. Richard's were sometimes scripted. Then came the personal note Nancy wrote in therapy, particularly the ones about her brother, Bill, violating her for years, and Richard with his sincere heart saving her life. Nearly every word had Richard's handwriting in it. It was all his idiosyncrasies. So the jury deliberates for less than three hours. Verdict was guilty. Richard's eyes are widened. Then he stares straight ahead, hung his head inside. Later, Richard would tell his lawyer, quote, I can't believe this has happened. I'm innocent. Gail's conviction about who killed or had not killed Nancy all fell apart on the shape of an I, an F, and an S. Mm. That new year, Gail visited Richard in jail. They, of course, inevitably talked about the trial and everything that had happened. Mm -hmm. And Gail was blunt with him. The handwriting analysis had hurt him. So did his apparent lies to the police. Mm. And it simply didn't make sense that Nancy would beg for help in the hospital if she had killed herself. He says, I don't understand it either. I lived with her and I don't understand it. All I know is that she bought the arsenic. That receipt is real. Why would I forge that stuff? The entire time, Richard is looking her straight in the eye. When it came time to leave, Richard left her with this. I can only pray that the truth will come out someday because it didn't at the trial. When driving back from jail, Gail thought about how she saw his eyes shift downward only twice during her visit with him. The first time was when I asked about his daughters. The second time was when I suggested that maybe Nancy got her poison in the Zovarax capsules that she had been taking at the time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I stand with this. Part of me is like, dude, what if it's a freaking gone girl situation and Nancy really did kill herself, but she like framed her husband for it or something. But like, uh, like that's just me being an asshole and just like having fun with this story but 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 that's what we're here for right true crime right like no yeah that's what we do yeah it's hard i don't know i don't i mean no i'm sure there's more evidence out there than what i presented with you guys today but the way that i'm seeing it after going through it a few times i'm like there's like almost the same amount of evidence on both sides yeah You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, things are weird on both sides. Like, they both did shady things. And I don't understand. The one thing that I don't get is how she was getting poisoned before Mm -hmm. they even got together. Because he wasn't even around. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm like, I can see that as a thing of, like, I'm getting sick. Like, you need to come back and take care of me. You owe me something, you know? Like, they were separated, not divorced at that point, right? Right, right. So... There's just weird things. And like you pointed out so astutely, like why reconcile with somebody if they're poisoning you? And yeah. you know that. And she yeah. clearly told that to her divorce divorce lawyer and her family that she's like, I think he's poisoning me. So why the hell get back together with that person? Right. It doesn't right. make any sense. Like when she be worried that your kids are in danger, you know? Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and what, is, what is your divorce lawyer doing after your client tells you, 
hey, I think he's poisoning me. Uh, but I think I might get back together. Like, what? what's the story there? I would like to know. Well, that's why. Like, her divorce lawyer was like, you need to get your stuff tested. Like, she's like, because this was after she told right, her right, about right. the wine yes. bottle, right? Yes, so, yes, like, get it tested. Right, and right. she's like, no, I don't want to because I don't want to <sighs> embarrass my husband or something. Dude, like, that sounds okay. Shady. Okay, here's yeah. Okay, I I'm I'm kind of I'm sipping my own little uh, tea slash Kool Aid. My theory that is ultimately it's still a silly theory that it's like a Gone Girl situation. But like, what if that? Yeah, like what if her being dropping this? I, I think it's poisoned, but I'm not going to give you the evidence. Like, what if that's all planted and planned? And maybe she did want to end her life, but was like, I want to ruin someone else's life while ending mine like it's the best revenge i could get on richard who was seeing tammy you know like i don't know again all hearsay but it's all it hearsay. makes We're for just a contemplating great stories it does and like i i agree with you megan up until a point like i don't think that she ever wanted to actually kill herself like i don't mm. think she was suicidal mm-hmm. i think she wanted to make him pay in some ways mm. like she obviously mm-hmm. knew about tammy and she wanted him to be all consumed by her in mm. terms of like taking care of her right. and like being by her side all the time and i think she just you know slipped up a little bit and took yeah. too much and yeah that's what landed her in the hospital and she's like oh shit like this is not what i plan for that's just like in all honesty i don't know there's it's all alleged we don't know what's going on or who's guilty obviously he's in jail right now uh he was convicted the jury decided that he was the guilty party in this right right. i personally think it could be her Mm -hmm. but that's just where my opinion stacks up with this yeah other radical theory that falls in that that ballpark is like she could have had munchausen syndrome for herself so not by proxy yeah. but for herself yeah and maybe you're right That's maybe she was microdosing arsenic to get herself sick to bring him back yeah. and then uh maybe there was a moment where she felt this desperate need to like kind of up the stakes or get further attention and then she just took a dose that was too big who right knows but it's another theory another theory we can roll around out there yeah it's sad all around. I think it's a lose-lose for everyone involved at the end of the day. And I'm just really impressed with yeah. Gail's <laughs> I know. Like, Gail. investigation. Of it was all Gail, Gail this whole time. <laughs> oh, man. What if it was Gail? Yeah. No, She's Gail. the one. But I thought it was interesting, like, just the last tidbit of what she said. And I don't know what to make of this. The whole thing of, like, he was looking her straight in the eye the entire time and by like a psychologist standard mm. people tend to look away when they're lying mm-hmm. or being distrustful mm-hmm. um so i think maybe that's what she was trying to get at when she said that he only looked away twice or looked down twice which is when she asked about his daughters which i think is strange yeah. uh, i don't know what the connection there is but also of course that maybe nancy got her poison the zovarex capsules that she had been taking at the time because that was only two days before she got sick yeah so. yeah I've I've heard that the whole eyes flickering or looking away isn't a total measurement of someone lying. It could be a measurement of just discomfort, you know, like mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. look down when his daughters are mentioned could mean yeah. I'm, you know, deeply sad and like that. to think of them is painful. Mm-hmm. And then the concept of, of him looking down or looking away from her when he talked about the arsenic being in the pills maybe it's not 
a lie but it could it might not be a truth meaning like maybe he's just speculating like that might be something Mm -hmm. that he's been rolling around in his head but because he knows it's not fact his natural response is to like look down and thought or to be like that's the one thing i'm uncertain about you know but um, i'm not saying that to defend him at the end of the day i don't Mm -hmm. know who who is responsible for nancy's death so yeah. Right. Agreed. And to be balanced here, the one really, in my eyes, incriminating evidence against Richard, he would give her these health pills. The, these are the pills that were coming from him. He would tell Nancy to take them because she was poorly, right? He wanted her to, you know, take vitamins and minerals, etc. And on multiple occasions, they found empty capsules around the house. But clearly he had like tampered with the capsules that she was taking and they were filled with the chemicals that he bought from General Lab. So um, he clearly did that. And I don't see that as something that um, I guess Nancy could have done that. But I feel like that's more a knock towards Richard. Right. Yeah. You can't like get around that sort of thing. It looks pretty yeah. damning. Hmm. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. So this was a a different one. It was a little twisty turny. It was really interesting. No, I loved it. For me to do. So yeah. hopefully you guys found it interesting. And I'm so curious what you guys think. Yeah. So let us know. But I'm just going to wrap this up quickly sure, sure. with a short paragraph about the toxicology portion and arsenic. Okay. Like I said, yeah, I'm yeah. leave some room yeah. for future episodes. Okay. So arsenic as a poison, as I said, is probably one of the most notorious poisons in pop culture. It's a very common poison used in movies, TV, and books. But actually, the most common cause of death by arsenic is from contaminated water, soil, or food products. Arsenic is a metalloid found throughout the Earth's crust and in the environment. And it is also found in seafood, which is the callback to Nancy, because they thought, you know, she had a small spike of arsenic November, and they likened it, okay, maybe she got her hair dyed or she ate shellfish. They're like, because you can get arsenic through those different means. Which is scary because I also looked at, because we talked about this a lot about hair dye. <laughs> Within hair dye, there's lead, mercury, and arsenic. <laughs> so <laughs> what a triple combo, triple threat over there. But arsenic was previously used in the distillation of beer, wine, whiskey, and other alcohol-containing products. Not anymore. The gas form of arsenic is still used today, though, as a crucial component in semiconductors, lasers, and microwaves. And it's actually not known how arsenic works in our body. The prevailing theory is that structurally, arsenic resembles phosphate. So when a person ingests arsenic, it will combine with glucose to make glucose 6-arsenate to resemble glucose 6-phosphate. And if you remember from old biology days, G6P or glucose 6-phosphate is one of the steps in glycolysis, which is the process of using glucose to make ATP, aka energy. So... With arsenic substituting for phosphate, it depletes not only your energy, your ATP, but also your glucose. A different version of arsenic can bind at the protein and cellular level and impair cellular respiration. So it's a very similar mechanism as cyanide. And it's also known to be involved in DNA repair. So fun fact, for this reason that it can inhibit DNA repair, it is used in some chemotherapies to treat cancer. So we actually use arsenic to treat cancer. Wow. That's really interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Symptoms for acute poisoning is typically gastroenteritis followed by hypotension, which is what we saw in Nancy. So all that nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and abdominal pain. Symptoms typically will begin minutes to hours after ingestion. And symptoms should resolve within 12 hours. 
but they can persist for days after exposure. And especially in Nancy's case, because it seems like she was getting poisoned over like several times or incidents. The classic description of the diarrhea is as rice water or cholera-like diarrhea that may be bloody. And from the hypotension, this is another hallmark characteristic of arsenic poisoning. And that's it. Yeah, this was great. Uh, yeah, we haven't done a, like a whodunit kind of unsolved from a social perspective true crime story. So this was really interesting. And now uh, I'll tell you, Hernie, this one actually kind of gave me the chills. I don't know what mood really? I'm in. But yeah, like I know I'm going to be thinking about this. And I just had a thought in my head of like, oh, man, I'm going to have to go to bed. And I'm like kind of scared. But like, I don't know why. Like this this wasn't, you know, it wasn't particularly like spooky. But like, I think it's the it's the not knowing what truly happened that makes me weary. (laughs) So agreed. Agreed. And I admittedly could have done more research. Maybe they have found more evidence since then. So. I'm actually curious, like, as we're saying this now, I'm like, I need to look more into this to see if there was more information. So if I do, I will text you. Right, right. <laughs> remind me again. Try the, to give some peace of mind. Remind me again the uh, time yeah. period. What was the year? Uh, this is 1991. Okay. 1991. And if you want to guide Poison Pals, just as a reminder and for Megan as well, I'm trying to find the... Okay. Uh, the story, if you want to read it yourself, it's called Killer Next Door by Gail Gordon by the Texas Monthly. Nice. I'm it's a great in read. My, um, my URL and, right now. <laughs> yeah, and it's Nancy Dillard and Richard Leon, L Y O N. Got it. If you guys want to do your own research, you please do. I will do mine as well after this episode because I am also uneasy. Like my mind, I'm not like scared, but I'm. But what happened? <laughs> Right. Even though Gail did a great job for all of us. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Gail. Even though you're a suspect in my mind. I know. You could be a potential suspect. Gail Gordon, if that's your real name. Right. Um, All right. Shall we? That's all. Uh, We can do antidotes now. Yes. Antidotes. Antidotes. Okay. My antidote today involves my cats yet again. Um, But uh, one of my cats. So both my cats are indoor, outdoor. One of them loves to be around me. Both. Okay. Both of them do. But one likes to be around me a lot more than the other. The other one, Mm. he's my firstborn, (laughs) but he is a neighborhood friendly cat. So he definitely. Yes, he's Gail. He, I'm pretty confident he has four adopted families at this point in the neighborhood. Occasionally I'll get a random text and they'll be like, Hey, uh, I felt like I finally needed to text you. Uh, I want you to know that uh, LT's been coming to our house for the last several oh days, gosh. and Aww. we love his company. If like you don't mind him hanging out here, we just want to let you know that he's here. And I've gotten those texts That's like so throughout the years that I've had him. Um, but what recently happened is in my and this ties in kind of to the story just now. But mm-hmm. my four unit complex. They all know LT and um, yeah. he in particular likes to go to my neighbor Rob's place in, <laughs> in the front unit because they they are yeah. like us where we kind of leave our front door open with the fly mm-hmm. screen so that you like mm-hmm. like if a cat wanted to run in and out of the house, they could they just have to go through the, like the, yeah. the screen flaps. So Rob has the same thing on his door and there was one night late at night where I wasn't at home just yet. 
and I get a text message from a number that I don't recognize, but it's pictures of LT hanging out Aww. with um, Rob's brother, Mark, who they, they live together. It was a picture of LT hanging out with Mark's girlfriend, who also lives in that house. <laughs> so I'm giving you the whole shebang. But LT is like, apparently he got into their house because they left the door open. And he was cuddling with Jules for like two whole oh. hours while I wasn't home. Oh my God, and they what? sent me three or four photos and they're like, we officially are stealing him, blah, blah, blah. And it was just very oh, sweet. So sweet. So my antidote is just like, my cat is a fucking hoe. <laughs> but... I am so lucky to have people in my neighborhood who adore him and will keep him safe and keep an eye out for him. So yeah, that's my antidote. It was just like a nice thing. I was like, oh, that's cute that you're all sending me photos and like these nice text messages about my cat. I agree. And I've said it once and I'll say it again. I love your neighborhood like i love your immediate like complex yeah so kind and so nice and i you can feel the sense of community right right it's good people i i got very lucky with their good people living situation so that's my antidote yay i love it uh okay my antidote this is now it's i don't have a good one this week actually oh well i think mine is gonna be we were in the bay this past week and weekend and um long story short my dad is retiring so he was moving out of his place in the bay after we he had been there for 10 years uh going back and forth so now it was like it's funny because we had a lot of like momentous occasions at that home surprisingly so it was a little bit like emotional to be like oh my gosh like a closing of a chapter ending a chapter but anyways my dad had to essentially deep clean the house as you do when you're trying to leave a place so my dad was like you and Dave like go somewhere for like three hours and then come back like don't be in the house (laughs) okay yeah so we got kicked out of the house to go do something it was like early on Saturday morning Dave and I just like looked up a nice little hike Mm. um in the Saratoga area which is like gorgeous Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. so gorgeous really nice houses over there we did some house watching and we (laughs) went on a beautiful beautiful hike I'll post pictures of this on the Instagram later but the hike basically had these instead of like markers or like, oh, 0.1 miles or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of that, it would be like, look up. And then you'd look up at the trees. Yeah, and yeah. then another 0.1 miles would be like, be still or your 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 mind is still. That's so nice. Right? I love that. And then the that. next one is like, yeah, I loved it. And it was like the next one was like, breathe deeply. You are alive, you know? Wow. And and then it would just be like more and more of those types of messages. And then at the very top is like, you did it. You were alive. You were well. You were happy or whatever it was. Right. Aww. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so this is so great. And backstory, Poison Pal, this past week has been horrible. This past week has been horrible for me and my family. So it was just like a nice little serendipitous reminders yeah. along the way which which is already like a gorgeous hike but having yeah. these like it's been a long time since i've been like out and about in nature and megan and i both love fall and like yes, the colors yes. and changing so it was just like a really nice time to like reconnect and like be outdoors so um really lovely and then after that dave and i decided to just hit up a local diner breakfast mm-hmm. spot and had mm-hmm. like the best breakfast <laughs> and a big jumbo guava mimosa oh <laughs> so that sounds good 
sounds cool. It was a good, it was a good morning. Yeah. That's, that's a great my, antidote. You know, it's the small things, but also me knowing the context of your hard week and your family's hard week. Like <laughs> how beautiful to suddenly go on a hike where there's literal signage of just like, yeah, have peace, you know, have peace. Yep. Mm-hmm. You are alive. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Yep. That's don't sweat Beautiful. the small things. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. A good reminder to us all for sure. So yeah. that's my antidote. I'll post those pictures because I think it's just lovely. It's super lovely. Yeah. And, please uh, do. Yeah. If you like this episode, please rate and review or subscribe. If you haven't even subscribed, do step one. <laughs> and then we'll it's a three see step you next process. time. <laughs> it's a three step yeah. process. Got to do all three. Mm-hmm. Don't risk it for that <laughs> that neighborly biscuit yeah it be arsenic <laughs> yeah <laughs> goodbye mm-hmm.